You're listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks, a biblical, practical, and spiritual conversation about living and leading worship. Let's lean into today's episode. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us on this week's Worshipology. Today, uh, I've got my good friend. I mean, this guy is seriously one of my best buds. Uh, I love this guy so much, not just his artistry and his heart, but just his whole vibe. Ian Zumbach, say what's up to the Worshipology podcast, man. Hey, Worshipology listeners. I love it, man. So we actually met uh, up at uh, Darien Lake, I think, like the Brothers McClurg introduced us, right? Yeah. So we were we were at this uh, event called Kingdom Bound, and they yep. had a worship tent, and we were both booked to lead worship at the worship tent. Uh, you knew the brothers wow. McClurg and uh, the guy who plays bass for them, Kevin, particularly. Actually, he yes. he actually said, "Hey, Curtis, have you met Ian? Ian, have you met Curtis?" Because you were just in the process of starting to get ready to launch into Nashville area, so he wanted to make that connect for us. Yeah, and then you know, moved to Nashville shortly thereafter. You were one of my first coffee hangouts. Yes, and uh, led worship at Bridges Nashville really for the first like two years of our church plant. And uh, we've gotten to write together. But man, for those who maybe aren't familiar with Ian Zumbach on our podcast, man, just give us a little snapshot. Who are you? How'd you get involved in songwriting, music? What's what's the journey, man? Oh, man. Let me give you the, the quick version of it. I I <laughs> I actually wanted to play drums when I was a kid. I, I love the drums. I still love the drums. I'd love to be a drummer still, but uh, it didn't go that wow. way. My, my dad and my mom, uh, they were music musical um enthusiasts. My uncle actually was a very uh, prominent trumpet player in the Albany area. He actually ran a construction company, a very successful one. But when artists like Barry Manilow or um, Linda Ronstadt, all these big band things would come in, he would be the guy who'd be in- invited to come join an orchestra and, and, and play and play trumpet. So there is music in, in, our, in our history and in our background. Um, wow. I, I, I took to guitar um, around eight years old, uh, they started getting me guitar lessons. By the time I was 11, my guitar teacher started bringing me into blues bars to play open mic nights and jam sessions with these nice. like beasts of players. Um, and then I, I, I ended up getting involved in like the heavy metal and hardcore, hardcore scene in Albany, which is a very, it was a very healthy, thriving scene there. Um, a lot wow. of bands would come up from New York city. Uh, there was a, venue in New York city called the CBGBs. And, um, Oh yeah. They would have these Sunday matinees for like hardcore music. And from what I understand, some, some, some of the events started to get a little bit too violent. So they weren't putting on the matinees as much. So those bands needed an area to play that was close by. And so whether it was Connecticut, uh, different areas, Albany happened to be one of those areas that these bands would travel up to. So I got to see some great bands, Love the vibe of that, the energy of hardcore, the energy of, of, of heavy metal and the kind of community that, that was around that because there was just misfit kids looking for yeah. a place to gather on a Friday night or a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. So I was a part of that. Um, in my early 20s, I, I um, had a profound experience where I met, where I met Jesus um, mm. in a way that just shook my life right up and... I wow. did begin serving with a worship team shortly thereafter. Uh, but I'd say after about a year, I stepped down and just wanted to invest myself into 
the study of scripture and and prayer. Mm. And then uh, people kept on coming up to me about two years in the, into that process and were like, hey, you know, God, God gave you those gifts to glorify him. I didn't quite understand what that meant until I saw a sermon that kind of described the greatness and the power and the majesty of, of God through Christ. And it's like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Now, what do I do with that? And I ended up going to a conference mm. where I saw Matt Redman lead worship and he was just getting ready to launch the 10,000 Reasons album. And the thought occurred wow. to me like, man, this guy's this guy at some point in time decided to sit down and pen some songs about his faith. What's holding me back from doing that? And so I did. Mm. And uh, it's led me from, I guess, around the release of the time of his album to now I've been doing it ever since. It's amazing, man. Yeah. What's what's crazy to me is like I only know you as like the folk Americana, mm. soft spoken Ian. And then you came from this heavy metal scene, which is so wild, man. Yeah. Like how did you get from like such a heavy style of music to like now you're writing i mean i just listened to head to the heart which by the way is amazing like i'm uh, excited we're gonna put some of ian's music in our show notes thank uh, for you for those who are listening but how did you get from like that scene to like writing where you just pick up an acoustic guitar and your voice and the acoustic just goes so well together how'd you discover that man well some of it was was through trial and error and some of it yeah. was through um allowing other people that you trust that are, are able to identify something that they see in you that would be a more natural, um, a more natural bent, right? Like when I first started write, wow. writing worship music, um, I was doing what I felt like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do, right? Now I have this story where I've mm -hmm. come to faith in Jesus and I'm looking at the genres that exist and it seems like there's a particular style of worship. Um, this is apparently how I'm supposed to do it. But then you get involved in community, like creative community, and and you have people that maybe start saying similar things. Like, have you ever thought about maybe writing in this style? This seems like it would be more your particular bent. Um, huh. And it's just through collaboration, all of a sudden you feel like you're like, oh, wow, I'm stepping into like like finding comfort in my own creative skin, right? So yeah. so that's really what happened. And I think that Wow. Chris, Chris Hoisington and Anthony and those guys, they did have a lot to do with that. That's cool because a lot of people would let ego get in the way of that. But the fact that you're like, no, like, does it, did it just kind of feel like, I mean, and this is kind of a cool and unique, and we weren't even going to go here, Ian, but like kind of people, sometimes they just get locked into this certain style and it doesn't feel like them. It doesn't feel natural. But then all of a sudden somebody comes along sees potential in them and says, Hey, have you ever thought about doing this? Like I could tell personally, just, I never saw myself as a hymns guy. I, mm. I grew up in rock bands and I grew up, you know, with the electric guitar and even in high school, believe it or not, like kid rock was my hero. I wanted to be in a rap rock band. Praise God. That didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I never thought of myself as a hymns guy until Malcolm Duplessis, who is, you know, just, I call him the godfather of modern day worship. He introduced Tomlin to Redmond and he's a brilliant guy, but he was like, Curtis, you, you really take a knack to like writing the hymns. What if that was your thing? And here I am, you know, a decade later on a label called Simple Hymns. I love the hymns. Well, your hymn, your hymn album charted on Billboard too. Like, I think like number I don't even remember. Like it was a top 20 billboard album. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's how we really got connected with old bear was because old bear records put out that hymns album. Uh, and of course, you know, with the table, your record in 2017, that was out with them. 
So I think it's kudos to you for not having the ego to say, well, no, that that's not what I am, but being open to that. Was it just a natural fit for you? And how did you just start to thrive in that world of folk and Americana and acoustic? I think you have to have an open-handed approach to things in general. Like I think once you've, mm. once you've knocked on enough doors that like those doors aren't opening, you have to start mm-hmm. to, you either continue to just bang your head up against the wall and continue to try to push down a door, or you have to have a recognition that um, maybe, just maybe I'm knocking on the wrong door and I have a lane mm. and I need to be humble enough to not only pray that God would direct me towards the people that could help me see those things, but start to have partnerships and people that will draw that out of me because it's, 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 um, having an ego about it and feeling like I'm the one who's supposed to be managing this process technically puts you in the, the, the seat of God's throne technically. Right. So like wow. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm guiding, I'm trying to guide and Lord my own life and own direction because this is what I want rather than God, what is it that, where, where would I be most effective? And I think where you're most effective is where your natural bents are, like where, where you, where mm. you'll feel the greatest level of fulfillment and, and starting to ignore the, I would call them like creative social pressures of comparison. Mm. Like, well, it looks like this is really working for them. They're having a lot of success in those areas. Well, I had a pastor one time that had that had shared something along the lines. And if we're if we're looking at music from a ministry standpoint, he was talking about how Chris Tomlin has a big net, right? Like like the, at the level of his height of his success, he was like, "Man, that guy has a huge net." But there's some people that are in music you that you you have to have a fishing pole to get to a small watering hole to catch those fish wow. out there. So so wow. that really stuck with me as like taking the pressure off of myself in terms of comparing my successes to what the what the world would say would be successful and just just allowing myself to operate in the lane and in the giftings that God had willed and purposed and it felt it felt like the right thing and it's led me to some of the best opportunities I've ever had in my life that I couldn't have put together and has actually helped me has actually helped be the vehicle that has made the most meaningful relationships that I've had in my life. And you're one of those people and you know that, you know, my history, you know, my story, there are things that are happening and have happened in my life that had you not chosen to follow the call of God in your, in your life to come to Nashville, I wouldn't be experiencing the, some of the greatest blessings of my life right now. And that's all because wow. you were, you were following the lane that God had for you. So it's, it's pretty cool how this all works and what he weaves together, but it does take a willingness to be hands off and say, okay, not my will, your will. And when you do that, he does things that it's not cliched, um, profoundly amazing things. Well, I think that's just part of the brotherhood that we found in worship. And I mean, we could say that about, you could say that about the brothers McClurg. You could Mm. say that about so many people that have come into your circle, guys that have come into my circle. There's something about music that breaks down walls, that breaks down the guards that we so often hold up in this thing called life. And it allows people into your heart. It allows people into your life. And I mean, I think that's one of those things that when I listen to your music, I mean, 
Mm. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, The Table is one of those albums that I could listen to every week and it never gets tiring. Like, mm. I think the, the, the uniqueness that you approach songwriting, I mean, talk a little bit about the way that you approach songwriting because it is different. I mean, you and I have had this conversation where, you know, maybe I feel like I'm writing songs that are kind of more in that mainstream vibe, but you write songs that hit a different chord and it really does reach a different audience, but it's so needed. It's kind of like left of center, if you were to say that, of what's being put out there in worship. I don't know if you'd call it indie uh, worship or if you just call it singer songwriter of a guy who loves Jesus. Like, how do you approach the songwriting course that you take, man? I mean, for, for me, I've found there's like two categories for me for songwriting. One is the songwriting of like serving someone else's project and vision. And then, and then, mm. then there's the aspect of serving what God is putting on your heart to share. So in regards to the table, I felt that um, the approach to that was that specific body of work was, was being inspired so much by scripture um, and stories that I was discovering in, in and through uh, personal Bible study, but were like more, just like you're saying, left of center, there were like left of mm. center stories that aren't like the typical things that would be talked about. Like the, the, uh, the, the title track was about uh, David and Mephibosheth, that whole story of how this crippled guy came to David and sought mercy. And I thought there was just a wow. beautiful, beautiful picture of the gospel in that. And, and, and related to that, we were, I was able to draw on personal experiences of a friend that we had, that we had lost to, to drug use that, um, mm. you know, the idea of like, well, what was Mephibosheth like really like, what did he feel like? How did he, he see himself with, as being a cripple and being on the outside of, outside of society and not particularly somebody that have a, a level of prominence and then how David took him and elevated him and made a place for him at the table. It was mm. just, that's, that's just a beautiful picture of, you know, us being beggars at the doors of God's mercy, you know, uh, but, but we don't have to come and approach God that way. Even though there's like this idea to like, we are essentially beggars. He sees mm-hmm. us as family. He sees us as his children. He sees us as, as, as the most beloved creation. And, and you wouldn't really sing a song on a Sunday, usually about Mephibosheth's story, right? I no mean, way. But- it's cool when you realize like as you're reading scripture and as you're like living out stories in your own life of like, man, like this could be a song that maybe someone's never sung before, but it would bring such freedom and deliverance if they, if they could voice that. Like, I just, I think there's such a unique opportunity in songwriting to not just sing and write what's been sung and written a billion times, but to find those nuggets that you're just talking about right there. hundred percent. Like one of the songs actually seems to like continue to have like some, some tractions. It seems like even after, after this release of a song called brother to brother. And it was Chris's idea. Yeah. He was like, Hey, what if we talk about or sing about Peter and Paul's fight that they had that's written in the book of mm-hmm. Galatians and at the time, I was like, "Man, that's that's interesting. How would we accomplish that?" And that that became one of the songs that sort of like features a theme on the album of community, where we would bring in guests guest artists to sing on the album, right? So like, Weston mm-hmm. Skaggs plays the part of uh, I think he plays the part of uh, Peter in the in the 
in the song, you know, so I'm singing like what Paul's part would be if he was melodically arguing with with Peter <laughs> and Peter's I, response. I think, I think the world be, would be a better place, Ian, if we melodically <laughs> argued with one another. It would. It would. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Quite absurd, <laughs> but kind of great. I mean, that's the theme. That's the theme from your record, though, is that you you tend to bring in a lot of like and that's part of old bears vibe right it's like it's always family driven where you know it's like multiple artists coming together to do a project and and that kind of leads me to the next thing i wanted to chat with you about mm. is like i mean within the last year or so you guys did this project at rich mullen's house or something yes. like that right we did Dude, tell us about that man that's so cool yeah that was amazing that was that was quite a few years in the making and that was one of those it's probably there's probably podcasts that are out there that talk about like all the ways that they got to where that they got, but in in a very small uh, version of it, that was sort of a thing where Chris and Anthony just kept on following these doors that would open. There was just an idea and a vision, and they kept on meeting people that were close to him, and it got to a level where in doing a legacy project, which I think was 25 years after his passing. Uh, why don't why don't we take like the approach the way that Rich did on recording his Jesus uh, demos or Jesus record demos and just let's record songs honoring him in the company of his friends in the home that he resided mm. in that he probably wrestled with God in that he enjoyed fellowship in maybe we could get permission wow. from from the person that's caretaking the house to do this. And so they did. They managed to, and it was in this area called Bellsburg, Tennessee. And the funny wow. thing was Connie, who who actually runs, uh, or who owns the home, now, she was just always flabbergasted, like, why do you guys want to do this here? This just seems so weird. But <laughs> but through the process, there are some really beautiful moments captured because it's so raw, it's so stripped down. What you hear is what's happening in the room. So it kind of felt like you're approaching the recording the way that they probably did like in the twenties, you know, or thirty, like when people would discover Robert Johnson, some guy's got a recording machine. He just puts it up and he's like, Hey, Robert Johnson, can you play these songs? You know, and, and you're just preserving and wow. capturing a moment in time and are not hiding. Now, don't get me wrong. I love well-produced albums. You know, I love like Bon Iver and stuff like that, but there's something yeah. that's really special too, about these very stripped down, authentic raw moments where you're just capturing an audio diary entry on, 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 in the history of music. And I think that that's what was captured there. What's amazing to me is just, I mean, you know, for those who may not be familiar with Rich Mullins, I mean, you know, you say 25 years ago, you know, it's like there's a whole generation that's come after that, but like the people that this record drew, um, you could tell they had such a buy-in to what was happening. I mean, Andrew Peterson, a Amy Grant, Audrey Assad, Sarah Groves, the list goes on. I mean, it's such an amazing album, and yet it's done so raw and authentic, and there's no bells and whistles about it. It is just people in a house recording songs, and I think that's so cool, man. Um, what was like, share, you got to share like a fun story or like something kind of, uh, maybe even on the comical side. Cause I know y'all yeah. had some moments and any, anytime I've been around you and the brothers, like there's, there's laughter that just goes on like record time. So dude, yeah, you got to share something, man. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I think one of my funniest, the funniest things to me was like, there was a few times where Chris, so Chris like co-produced it with, uh, Andrew Greer 
And there were some other mm-hmm. folks that were involved in like maybe helping to have some production decisions, but but primarily, and Evan Siling, uh, but primarily those guys were were mostly heading up like a lot of like the production decisions and advising these artists, you know, like maybe we should approach it this way or this kind of thing. Uh, but there was mm. a few times where Chris was describing sort of like the stripped down approach to the project. And he would say to people that were like, like David Mullins, who I think is Rich's brother, like Chris basically would come out wow. and say like, yeah, man, like when I listened to Rich's records, you know, I didn't realize how profound like a songwriter he was, like kind of like Woody Guthrie or James Taylor or Bob Dylan. He's like, cause the production sucked so bad that I just couldn't <laughs> hear the songwriting in it, you know? And it would be taken oh back gosh. by what he'd say. But, uh, <laughs> but they kind of agreed with him. They were like, you know, actually it's kind of true. Cause like most of the time, you know, I think from what I understand, he would go in, he'd give production, uh, license to whoever was producing the album he come in these plays mm-hmm. parts and then they would just build whatever they would build around it so he didn't have a lot of personal creative uh input into it and so when you do hear wow. those songs the way he recorded them and would go out and, and play them live a lot of times they were very stripped down and then to meet some of his band members like jimmy or mitch or or steve and these different guys and to hear their stories about what it was like being around him how he would play um like the way this guy, Steve Cudworth, uh, I think he plays a song on it, uh, If I Stand, beautiful rendition of the mm-hmm. song. Uh, he, he would describe how Rich would just, he would inhabit like a song that he was writing where he would just play these chords over and over and again and try to find all these different variations and just try to inhabit it. Like what is God doing in the song? What would be the best phrasing what would be the best even if it was a c chord he play it all over the neck mm. find out like where is it resonating and i thought that was really wow. really cool to hear that this guy who seemed like so sort of uh shoot from the hip was that invested in making sure that like the resonance of the instrument and the type of instrument that he was playing or how he played it was so at its highest level that that he he couldn't mm. walk away from it until it was played exactly that way which i think is really cool and that's something I've always appreciated about your music is that you take the extra mile. You take the extra, you know, time to just put into your craft. And I mean, what is it that you can encourage those that are listening that might be songwriters, whether new songwriters or old songwriters? What is it that has really kind of paid off for you in the songwriting world? Like one or two nuggets where you're like, hey, if I could teach anybody things that I've learned along the way by making mistakes or maybe by doing a couple things right, this would be it. Yeah, I would say, well, first of all, I'd say don't be afraid to make bad music, I think, you know? Like, like mm. don't be afraid to, like, like there's this, like, self-editing process sometimes in a, in, a, in a room or even if you're working on it yourself or you're working on it with another collaborator that you may self-edit to the extent where you where you feel like I'm worried that I'm going to sound dumb if I bring up this idea. You shouldn't be mm. like, you should just be willing to just, just send it, share it, see what happens, write bad songs, because that's really how, that's where you kind of stumble into some of the best songwriting tricks. You're not going that's to, good. you're not going to be Paul McCartney, your first crack at it, you know? And well, I mean, who is going to be, who <laughs> is going to be Paul McCartney, you know, but, but, right, right. but, but, but just that, that idea of, you're only going to get better if you're willing to do the things that you're not good at. And and then you will wow. develop an ability to be better at it. 
So that goes, it goes across the board. It goes for sports. It goes for ministry. It goes for past, you know, pastors preaching sermons. Your first sermon is not going to be the same as your 200th sermon. You know that personally. Like right. it, you, yeah. you're going to learn the tricks by, by trying things out and you'll never grow if you don't take those chances. I love that. And I like the fact that you're not afraid to take those chances. And like you said, sometimes you stumble on that gold, man. Talk to us a little bit about this upcoming project that you've been working on, man. Sure, sure. So that this, um, an EP that is releasing March 10th, it's called Abilene. Um, basically the approach to that album was, you know, I went through some, uh, a season of personal loss and, and, um, had a lot in there that I knew I could derive inspiration from. Uh, I tried to start song ideas around the time that these things were happening, but just knew it was sort of like, um, I'd heard it described by another songwriter where like songwriting sometimes is like fishing. You go out on a boat, you try, you, you reel one in and you realize that that fish is undersized, but but you should probably just put it back in the lake, come back to it in a couple of years and try to fish it out again when it's bigger and healthier. And so that was the way it was. You're a metaphor this. king, by the way. Oh, you are a man. metaphor king. I can't, take cre- I can't take credit for that one, but it did stick with me. <laughs> um, so, so I decided to approach the recording of that. I wanted to actually capture a literal, like just raw moment. Like where was I at emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and so I wrote, mm. I took those ideas of those those songs that I had started. One song had been completed probably about two years prior that was written with another friend who had gone through an interesting journey, and we ended up deciding to record it like kind of last minute because it fit with the with the overall aesthetic of the record. But the other five songs mm. we wrote in five to six weeks, and some of the songs actually we wrote we finished writing in the studio because we wanted to actually capture like this is what's happening in this moment at this time. This is just wow. a timestamp of something. I don't, I, I want to give that much of a raw visceral expression that people, that people mm. can hear where we were at. And so it was interesting mm-hmm. to hear it because there was so much grief. There's hope on the album too, but there's a lot of grief. So when Anthony had gone to this particular organ to start playing the melody of the song that I had written and to hear it, it was like hearing your emotions and your grief set to melody. It was almost overwhelming. I had to step out of the studio for a moment Mm. because I was like, wow, I'm like literally hearing this like audio representation of what happened on the inside of me. And it was, was, so I I hope that that transcends the rest of the album. And so far, I feel like a lot of people that have gotten to hear some of it are uh, resonating with it. And I can't ask for more than that. Right. Dude, that's amazing, man. And, And kudos to you for putting your heart out there. I mean, I know when you walk through a season, sometimes it's easy to just kind of like internalize all that and not invite people into that story. But really what makes you such a passionate songwriter is that you do put these seasons of your life into songs and people all of all walks of life experience grief and experience loss. It looks differently from person to person, but man, that's kind of what unites us in humanity is that we all go through those stories and music can be that undercurrent that brings us closer together, man. So I can't wait to listen to the rest of it. I've only gotten to hear a couple songs, but I know it's going to be amazing, man. Dude, in our last uh, four or five minutes here, man, I've been asking people this question this year. Mm. What's the Holy spirit speaking to you uh, personally? And uh, what's he doing in your life that, uh, man, we could really just glean some wisdom from today. Man, it's, it's interesting. I, I really thought about this um, uh, or have been thinking about this lately. I would say even though that I am pr- particularly writing music that is 
like left of center and that that type of thing. The importance of songs that communicate uh, the gospel and mm. and inspiring worship is so important right now, particularly for children. Um, I've observed wow. a few situations where I've I've seen uh, two two children in particular that I, I'm close to that that at night they're listening to worship lullabies and or listening to worship music while they're doing schoolwork and different things. And they're engaging with the presence and the reality of God through these songs. Mm. So there's, I have no idea who these people are that are writing, recording these like worship lullabies. Uh, they're not, they're not the names that you would know on like CCM radio and those types of things. But those people mm. are, are, have embraced the lane that God has put on their heart to do, to bring, to bring the knowledge and the presence of God into the lives of children. So I think that the focus on children and developing their personal faith, their uh, ability to engage with children, uh, with God, um, I think is absolutely paramount to uh, the health and growth of, of, of our future leaders, of, of future generations. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where it's, and it's been interesting because I'm not like a youth pastor. I'm not like somebody that's like looking, like that's not my thing, but I'm like, wow, I'm very grateful for the people that are are doing that. So I guess in a general, general idea, whatever that your lane is, whatever that your scope is that God, that God has placed on your heart to do, just do it, do it with everything that's in you, leave the results to him. Um, don't compare if you're doing it, and you know you're doing it to the best of your ability, then thank God for that. Thank God that like you have that. That's that gets you up out of bed in the morning. You have that purpose. That's part of your life, and it, it mitigates disappointment. You know, it mitigates you trying to mm-hmm. trying to uh, project your own results. Like, don't bother with that stuff. Don't worry about that stuff. Just do the thing that God called you to do, and do it to the best of your ability. And that's where you'll find fulfillment. That right there is a challenge. It's an inspiration. Ian, you're one of the greatest humans I know, man. Thanks for joining us on Worshipology. Right back at you, my brother. Love you, man. You've been listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks. To learn more and to find resources for worship leaders and teams, you can visit curtisparks.com.